Welcome to The Impolite Psychologist. So when I meet people for the first time and they ask me what I do for a living and I tell them that I am a psychologist in private practice, I sometimes get interesting reactions. And one of those reactions is the person will tell me, I don't believe in therapy. And my response to that is, what do you mean you don't believe in therapy? Like, you don't, you don't believe that therapy exists like UFOs or ghosts? I don't understand. I don't believe in therapy. And usually they laugh and say something like, well, I just don't think it works or I don't think it's real. And then as they talk about why they don't believe in therapy, I, I come to realize that a lot of people don't understand what it is at all. Like they have ideas that we just kind of make stuff up on the fly and it's not based on anything. I mean, if you go to your primary care physician and you list out a set of symptoms and your doctor comes up with a diagnosis based on that set of symptoms, do you believe that they are doing something real? Is that practicing medicine or is that just making things up? Because basically that's what we do is that we hear about a set of symptoms and we give a diagnosis and we go on what the person reports to be their problems. And we generally believe people when they tell us what their problems are and what their symptoms are. And we respond to that in ways that research has proven to be effective in dealing with said problems. So I once met a guy who heard that I was a psychologist and then proceeded to tell me that he is a CPA and that makes sense and numbers make sense and that's real and what I do is not real. But I think if backed into a corner and anybody asked him what happens in a therapy session, he probably wouldn't have the first clue about what that is. Now, I understand a lot of people have trouble with the idea of therapy. I actually have a lot of people in my practice who are first-generation Americans, um, and I have a diversity of people in terms of the number of different countries that their parents came from. And there are a lot of cultures where therapy is really a foreign concept that, you know, you're supposed to handle your problems through your religion, or you're supposed to handle problems through the family, or you're supposed to handle problems by just sucking it up. That is what the culture prescribes. I mean, truthfully, Therapy evolved through the work of Sigmund Freud, who was Austrian. And so therapy does have a very European way about it because it was invented by a European, essentially. Now, over time, therapists have become more culturally competent and have started to include 
families and religion and cultural components to the therapy, but for the most part, it is about helping the individual to make the most healthy choices for themselves. Now, there are many circumstances in which therapy does not work. One of those circumstances is what I call checkbox therapy, meaning that the person comes in in order to check a box for getting something done for another person. For example, a probation officer requires a client to go to therapy or a husband or a wife or a family member or a boss where somebody else is requiring the person to go to therapy and they are absolutely reluctant to do so, but they show up every week and they participate. And that's kind of in quotes. They participate in therapy in order to check the box of, I am doing this for you. Now, even in this situation, a person can come in because they are checking a box and then through just the natural progression of talking with someone else and talking with a psychologist, then they actually buy into therapy, they glean something from it, their life improves, everything gets better. And then there are the people who are absolutely afraid of actually digging into what they need to dig into inside of themselves. I actually had a coworker many years ago say to me, I don't want to know what's in there. I really don't ever want to go to therapy and I don't want to know what's inside. I'm afraid of what's inside and the way my life is going right now, I just want to keep that up. And that's understandable. You know, as long as things are working for you, then keep it going the way it's been going. The problem with checkbox therapy is that I often have people who are so afraid of what's going on on the inside that they will come in and they will chit chat and they might mention some very minor problem occurring somewhere in their lives. And I might ask them to talk about that in more depth. And then I'll get something like, oh, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, I'm just complaining. That's nothing. I got over it. I'm fine now. Everything's okay. And so this sort of goes on and on and on. And after a while, I begin to feel like I'm wasting their time, they're wasting my time, somebody's money is being wasted, I'm working for no reason. It just becomes weird and absolutely ineffective. And then, especially in the situation in which I am seeing an adult for the purposes of checking a box for another adult, I cannot report to the original adult. I cannot report to the person who required them to be in therapy that they are not participating because that would be me breaking confidentiality and I am not allowed to break confidentiality. So it ends up being just 
awkward in general until one of us caves, until I recognize that this is a waste of both of our time. And, you know, when you want to come back with something real, give me a call or the other person just kind of stops coming because they have checked the box of X number of sessions to show that they've done their due diligence with therapy and uh, they're good. So another way that therapy doesn't work is when people show up and often people show up and they've never been in therapy before and they really don't know what to expect at all, but they'll show up and give me very little information, no matter how many questions I ask, no matter how hard I try to dig, I'm getting one word answers or very short answers or questions about why I'm asking something. Often what will happen is that these are the same people that will say that they're suffering and say that they want to be fixed and sort of cross their arms and wait for me to fix them without giving me much to go on. And so I have to say, I am not a magician. I cannot wave a, a magic wand and make you better without having anything to work with. I am not psychic. I cannot read your mind. And so you have to give me something to work with in order for therapy to work. And sometimes these same people will say, well, if you knew what you were doing, you could figure it out. And again, I'm not a magician. I have to have something to work with. Another way that therapy doesn't work is with what we call hit and runs. So I will have someone come in, um, and every therapist has experienced this. You'll have people come in and they will report very little. How was your week? Oh, you know, this, that, that, the other, I got these things done. I went to work, uh, bad traffic, whatever. They, they tell you their story of their week and then five minutes before the session is about to end, they'll say something like, oh, uh, yeah, and I did try to kill myself this weekend. Okay, see you next week. And we call that a hit and run because it, it, they're hitting you with a, a great deal of important information as they are walking out the door. So there is no intervention that can be done for said information. So you might come back the next week and say, oh, hey, you know, you mentioned this really big thing at the end of the session last time. Then they'll say something like, well, you know, I didn't really mean that or, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't I didn't really um, I was making a bigger issue out of it than it actually was. I'm over it now. This week's been OK. I don't know what I was thinking, blah, 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 blah. And so then there is no intervention for what they hit you with. And that becomes a whole thing. Another thing that happens is I ask very thorough questions about a person's history on that first session. I mean, I think I've said before that I start with when they were in the womb all the way till now. 
I ask about abuse and stress in the family and mental health problems in extended family and all this stuff. And people will say, uh, no, I don't, you know, no mental health problems in my family. No, I wasn't abused, this, that, and the other thing. And then six months, a year later, all of a sudden they'll say, oh, yeah, by the way, my uncle used to molest me. By the way, yeah, my dad was kind of an alcoholic and he kind of beat up my mom in front of me a lot when I was growing up. They'll give me something that is so huge after a long period of time. Presumably they didn't trust me in the beginning and now they do, but they wait. And then I ask them, well, why did you wait so long to tell me such a, a big event in your life? And they'll say, oh, I didn't think it was important. And many times people really don't think that these things are important, that they're not relevant somehow to a person's current level of functioning, that being beaten as a child or attempting suicide or any of that stuff wasn't relevant to what they're dealing with now, that somehow their big history has no impact on them today. Oh, I'm just dealing with my marital issues. Uh, that has nothing to do with my marital issues. Or I'm just having trouble at work. That has nothing to do with my trouble at work. And the answer is, is that your history impacts everything in the present. And you have to figure out how. But I think a lot of people operate from this perspective from this perspective of, well, that was then, and this is now, and that has no impact on me. I think a lot of people in society believes this. So then the question becomes, so if you go through life believing that major events in your history have no impact on your present or your future, then what does have an impact? When you are struggling and you're not willing to go to, to therapy or you're willing to suck it up, then how do you deal with big things? So it's always very interesting to me because people who don't believe in therapy often come up with their own sorts of interventions. I'll hear this a lot when couples try to deal with their issues. You know, we were having some problems and then we decided to just think about it. And then we decided that we would do things differently and get back together because we're going to try and change the way that we behave when we're around one another. And then it just sort of cycles through and they're back to the same old, same old. And so I think that's something that people do who don't believe in therapy is a lot of times they'll be like, well, I'm just going to think harder or I'm just going to work harder or I'm just going to focus more. Or if I'm just more productive, everything will get better. Or my question is, so this brain that you've been using your whole life 
has screwed things up and you're going to use it the same way again and think the same way that you always have in order for things to get better? I mean, how has it worked so far and why hasn't it worked so far? You know, thinking harder, being more productive. I often hear people coming up with like, I just need to get out of my comfort zone. Okay, well, what does that mean? I will achieve personal growth. Everything will get better if I just get outside of my comfort zone. Okay, what does getting outside your comfort zone look like? I'm going to just start by getting up earlier in the morning or taking cold showers or climbing Mount Everest or whatever it is that they do something that is more physically challenging than they've done before. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I think working towards some kind of physical challenge can help you overcome some things, but it's not really going to create some kind of personal growth. This concept of self-imposed personal growth without changing anything really doesn't work. What I want to know is how does overcoming some huge physical obstacle change your relationships with other people? How does making yourself suffer physically create some kind of aha experience. I mean, other than, see, it's, it's like a self-imposed suffering with the idea that somehow if you create more suffering in your life, that you will become a better person or somehow that will transform your relationships. And this is very confusing to me. I mean, when people tell me something like, oh, I'm just going to take cold showers or get up at four o'clock in the morning or, you know, run a marathon that I'm not ready for. When people say they're going to do that stuff, I don't understand why they feel that suffering is somehow going to bring a great emotional transformation. I mean, really, all it is is creating an environment in which you're punishing yourself and hoping that somehow punishing yourself is going to make your life better. I always say, life is too short to be unhappy. Why are you imposing suffering? It just doesn't make any sense to me. The idea that if you do something that scares the crap out of you, somehow that's going to transform everything in your life. Or if you do something that's physically very painful, somehow that's going to fix things for you emotionally. And I just don't get it. There's something that is missing here for me. Many people say that if I just achieve more goals or get to the next level or become more productive, everything will fall into place. And basically what that is, is people piling more crap on their plate with the idea that somehow their lives will get better when they achieve more stuff. And that's actually 
usually not the case. I have yet to see that really work out for people. Basically, when a person is stressed out and they create more goals for themselves and they don't have the energy to achieve those goals, basically what ends up happening is it's an exercise in failure and then their self-esteem suffers and nothing gets better by creating unrealistic goals for yourself. Trust me, nothing in your life will get better if you create goals that you are not prepared to achieve. I think we all see this. We see people who create a bunch of goals for themselves that they have to achieve. And it's just a way of kicking the can down the road. Like my life will be better when I get that job or I buy that car or I buy that house. And so goals are sort of an unending list. And I do believe that you should always be striving to do better in your life. But when goals become your way of justifying sort of why you're unhappy in the moment, then it's time to take a look at that. You know, I would be happier if I just achieved this or got this. And I think that is a big problem for a lot of people because they believe that happiness is some kind of event that occurs in the future when they are a better person, when they are a better version of themselves. And so the real problem is that they are unable to deal with the present. They are unable to find happiness in the present. The question is, why are you not happy with your current state? Why are you not where you need to be right now? Life doesn't happen in the future. Life is happening right now. I think it was I think it was John Lennon who said life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And I think it's really hard especially in our culture to just sort of be in the present, soak in your current achievements, that you know, be happy with where you are right now. That's really hard for a lot of people. This is exactly where therapy comes in, where you realize you have reached your limit and it's time to do something about the problems of today. And that you cannot do that. You cannot fix your problems by waiting for something better to happen or thinking harder or being more productive or forcing yourself to suffer. That the time is now for you to consider therapy. There's an interesting study that came out years ago. Uh, Kaiser put together this study because they were trying to figure out why people who were otherwise physically very healthy, who exercised, who ate well, didn't have any bad habits like smoking or drinking heavily, why people like this were developing major diseases. 
And so they did this study to try to figure out what it was that was causing perfectly healthy people to get these diseases. And it's called the ACE study, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. Basically, they put together this questionnaire for people about various negative experiences that a person could have in the first 18 years of their lives. So the questionnaire asks about alcoholism and drug abuse and um, child abuse and incarceration and emotional neglect and all kinds of adverse experiences that can happen to children. And what they found was that there was a correlation between the score on the ACE survey and the diseases, meaning that people who had high ACE scores and were otherwise healthy were more likely to suffer from these diseases. So what does that say? That says that your past does affect your present. It is constantly there. And you know it's there. This is not news. Anyone who's listening to this knows that there is a bunch of stuff that is in the back of your mind that you try to ignore, that you know gets in the way, that you know creates problems in your life, but you are trying to distract yourself from those things because you know that once you deal with it, it's going to be a huge can of worms and it's going to require time and it's going to require money in therapy and it's going to be painful and it might actually blow up your life. It might change things in your current state. And this is something that happens when one member of a couple goes to therapy and the other person does not. What happens is the person who goes to therapy starts recognizing that they have to take care of themselves, they have to assert themselves, they have to start saying no to their partner about certain things. And what ends up happening is the partner doesn't like that new person doesn't like this person who's requesting new things and saying no to a lot of the things that they used to say yes to. It becomes very uncomfortable. And what ends up happening sometimes is when one person goes to therapy and another person doesn't, the couple ends up breaking up because the dynamic changes and things are not the same. And it's hard to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want you to grow. It's hard for the person who went to therapy to be required to stay the same when they don't feel the same anymore. Therapy makes a huge difference for people. I believe in it, obviously. And I think that our society has to take a look at the alternate methods that people are using to achieve the same results as therapy because I believe that 
these alternate methods are not helping anyone to find peace and happiness in their lives. It's just sort of making people feel like failures. It's making people feel like they should be doing more. It's making people feel inadequate in so many ways when they can't somehow get the energy to do something that they are not actually emotionally capable of doing. So there are many people who continue to not believe in therapy and they go through their lives not believing in therapy, but then trying all these other misguided ways of dealing with their emotional problems, believing that somehow these other methods will achieve the same results as therapy would. And therapy is scary. And it takes a lot for a person to sit down and share with a stranger their deepest, darkest secrets. And by the way, I think that you should be very selective about who you choose as a therapist because anything ultimately can throw it off. If you choose the wrong gender of a therapist, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, I was always uncomfortable with men, so I forced myself to have a male therapist to work through that. And I always ask, why? Why, again, are you imposing this suffering on yourself? Why do you think you need to suffer in order to get better? Why wouldn't you just take the easier path? If you trust women, then go to a woman and talk about your issues with men. Why make it harder out of the gate? This is what I don't understand, why people make things hard for themselves out of the gate. I've also heard people say that they went and saw somebody and that person had super weird decor in their office, weird colors, weird paintings, just bad taste in general, and, and they couldn't get past it. And I think that although that sounds silly, there's something to that because you really do have to be comfortable and feel safe in the environment and not be distracted by stupid things that don't need to distract you. Do not add extra obstacles to getting the help you need. So to recap, Therapy only works under the right conditions. And if you don't know what therapy is like, go and find out before you make any judgments because you might find out that it's real and it works. It's what you have always needed. And so, of course, I would encourage anybody to at least try it, but to pay attention to anything that doesn't work about it and to ask yourself what isn't working and what do I need to do to make it work? Because with the right person in the right circumstances, you can really transform your life.